We are a blessed people to be able to worship our God so openly. I remember a few years ago a conversation that really sticks in my mind. A man was visiting us who preached in Zimbabwe and South Africa. And he looked at what we did with the worship services and the Bible classes. And and he said, every Sunday I have opportunity to preach. And I preach to four or five people. But he said, don't take for granted the great blessing that you have to have a Bible study and to get really in-depth in the text with people who are willing to do it because he said, you're not able to do that as freely in that country. Not that the government doesn't allow it, but people are not as excited about coming to the Bible class as to worship. And he was just saying to me, be thankful for what you have. And we all need to be. Praise God. Does God expect too much of us? Too much of you? Does God expect too much of us? In Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right now, we want to focus on Genesis 12 and verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country. Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. If you have ever left country, whether to serve uh, in the military, to preach God's word, whatever the purpose... If you have left country, you find that all of a sudden being thrown in a new environment where you don't know the scenes, you don't know the people, you don't know the environment, it is a difficult process. But Abraham was called, take everything, go forth from your country. That is difficult, but go forth from your relatives and your father's house. Notice the progression, first from your relatives and then from your closest relatives. It is hard to leave places that we are familiar with and comfortable in. It is difficult to leave those. It is more difficult to leave to say goodbye to people who are dear and precious to us to say goodbye to our relatives and to our father's house. Even in this verse, God asked much of Abraham, leave your country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's house. None of these easy undertakings. But I ask you to turn your Bible also to Genesis 22. 
In Genesis 22, Abraham is told something that is even more difficult. God tells him, leave your country, leave your kin, leave your father's house, go to the land that I will show you. But in Genesis 22, in verses 1 and 2, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Your son, your only son, whom you love. These terms are piled up to emphasize the greatness of the sacrifice God is calling Abraham to make. God is well aware of how precious Isaac is to Abraham. But he says, I want you to take him, your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. Certainly, God is asking too much of Abraham, isn't he? Isn't that unreasonable? God not only asked much of Abraham, but God asked much of us. As a matter of fact, the passage in Luke 14 in some ways reminds me of Genesis 12. In Luke 14 verse 25, large crowds were going along with him. Large crowds followed Jesus. Large crowds flocked around him. And they were going along with him. And he returned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, the text says, None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now again, what God is asking of us is very demanding. It is very demanding. None of you, notice that verse 26 is addressed to if anyone. It is not addressed to preachers. It is not addressed to elders and deacons. It is addressed to anyone. If anyone will come to me, you must hate your mother and hate your father. Now obviously we don't despise our mother and father, our son or daughter, our husband or wife. We don't despise them. That would be contrary to biblical revelation in itself. But you remember in Genesis 29, verses 30 and 31, how Jacob marries Rachel and Leah. And the Bible tells us that Rachel was Jacob's favorite. And the Bible says he loved Rachel more than Leah. And the next passage says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, King James says that anyway. The New American Standard says that she was loved less. But the actual Hebrew word is the word for hated. 
One translation is giving the literal word. One translation is given the meaning of that word. The meaning of the word hate in that passage is to love less. And that's the way it's used by Jesus. The point that Jesus is making is when He calls us, He takes priority over those who are closest to Him. Closest to us. Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Young people who are contemplating your marriage. If your mate is first in your life, your marriage is going to be lacking. If God is first in your life, that gives you the strength and the foundation for a solid marriage. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. And also, we hate even our own life. May God help us here because there is such an instinct at self-preservation. There's such an instinct to keep ourselves out of danger if anyone does not hate his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And in verse 33, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. I grant it, these words are striking. There are some passages of the Bible that trouble me, that disturb me, because I don't understand them the way I would like. A lot of Zechariah 9 through 14 falls in that category. That there are passages of Scripture that bother me because I think I know all too well what they're saying. And this is one of them. God asks much of us. I am not going to sugarcoat that. I'm not going to try to minimize that. But I will say this. When we are tempted to think that God asks too much of us, I want us to remember that God asks nothing of us that He is not willing to do Himself. God asks nothing of us that He is not willing to do Himself. God says to Abram, leave your country, leave your kin, and leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you is that difficult to do? Is it difficult to wave goodbye at people you love who are all weeping and to get on a plane to fly to a foreign land not knowing if you'll ever see them again? That is difficult. That is difficult. But do you remember what Jesus gave up? The Bible emphasizes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, who although in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was found in fashion as a man. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him. The point, Jesus was God in heaven in need of nothing. And yet he did not use this as a reason to say, I will not serve, I will not help anyone else. The one who was God became man and was in the form of a slave. The word slave is used of Jesus. He did this and he died a horrible death, even death on the cross so that we might be saved. Not because he needed us, but because we needed him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Consider the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you might be rich. Jesus left the glories of heaven. He left the glories of heaven and he came to earth and he said the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. God asks much of us, but God asks nothing of us that he is not willing to do himself Genesis 22 we have already alluded to where God told Abram to take your son your only son whom you love and offer him on one of the mountains as a burnt offering Abraham Genesis 22 verse 3 says rose early in the morning he gets up early to do exactly what God told him to do his obedience was a prompt obedience but his obedience was a prolonged obedience in verse 4 on the third day he raised up his eyes he could have turned back anywhere along the way but he is quick in his obedience he is prolonged in his obedience he keeps following God when he gets to the mountain he says the lad and I will go there and worship and we will come again to you and Isaac asked his father father here is the wood and here is the fire for the offering but where is the lamb for the burnt offering and he said my son God will provide a lamb think how that question though where is the lamb must have burned in Abraham's heart and caused him great sadness and as they come to the mountain the text says he built the altar and he binds his son to the altar and he draws his knife to slay his son the angel of the Lord speaks and says Abraham Abraham now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld your son your only son from me Abraham raised up his eyes and there in the thicket was a ram caught by the horns. He takes him and offers him and a sacrifice instead of his son. And he says, the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Could I have done that with my son? Take your son, your son, whom you love. It is a great demand God makes of Abraham. But my friend, God never asked anything of anyone that he wasn't willing to do himself. 
We could make parallels between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. And we could make a lot of parallels between Genesis 22 and the cross. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. How many times is Jesus referred to as God's son? As God's beloved? As God's only son? Take your son, your only son, whom you love. I can remember once hearing on a radio a support group that no one would ever want to be belong to. A support group for the parents of murdered children. As I thought about their grief, I thought God could be a member of that crew. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him on the mountain. There's so many parallels between Genesis 22 and the cross. we could make. Even the word would that's used in the text in passages like verse 6 and verse 8 and 9. The word would is a word that's generally translated tree. It's a word used in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. Curse is the one who hangs on the tree. And Jesus experienced that curse for us in so many ways. This reminds us of the cross. But I want to tell you, what God did was greater than what he ever asked of Abraham. It was greater. While God is a good God who had given Isaac to Abraham to begin with. And God is asking Abraham, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. God, when, Abra when God sees Abraham, when he draws the knife to slay his son, and God says, now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld your son from me. God stopped the execution. But when Jesus was in the garden and Jesus was sweat was rolling as great drops of blood as he was offering prayers with strong crying and tears and prayed, my father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. God did not stop the execution. And God did that so that sinners like you and sinners like me can be saved, can be forgiven, can be mended and whole. God has nothing of us 
that he is not willing to do himself. The passage that Stan mentioned today. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. How many times have you encountered people that said, I've read the Bible and God just wants us to be happy. Isn't it a shame that Jesus never got to experience that? He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And we thought, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We thought, surely he's... He's getting what he deserves, but he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He's smitten and he's wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And he has borne our iniquity. I am not eloquent enough as a speaker nor are we profound enough as listeners to ever plumb the depths of what God has done for us in Christ. But I will tell you as we emphasized last week or excuse me, last night that this is the focal point of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says Christ was died, was buried, raised again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul said this is of first importance. I encourage you to keep going back here. When you are discouraged, when you are broken, keep looking at the cross of Christ. Look at what he did for us. Look at the resurrection. When talking to people who have questions about this and that about the Bible, and I don't know if I can believe that, keep going to the crucifixion and resurrection. Because ultimately, somehow all our problems are answered in this. God asks much of us. And God asks nothing of us that He's not willing to do Himself. And yes, God asks much of us But I also want to say this. God's promises are greater than his demands. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Did you notice in Genesis 12, while verse 1 states what God is asking of Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. While God asked much of Abraham, in verses 2 and 3, God promises him even more. I will make you a great nation. Now here's a 75-year-old man with no children and God says I'm going to make you a great nation I'm going to bless you I'm going to make your name great 
In the last chapter in Genesis 11, people tried to build a tower that reaches to heaven to make a name for themselves. And God confounded their languages and scattered them abroad on the face of the earth. But God says in contrast to these people who want to make a great name for themselves, God says to Abram, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse when you read the major prophets in Isaiah 13 through 23 Jeremiah 46 through 51 Ezekiel 25 through 32 and the minor prophets sometimes Amos 1 and 2 you'll find a section of judgment on the nations Generally, those nations are, are judged for sins like idolatry. They are judged for sins uh, like uh, mistreatment of God's people. But, but often those judgment on the nation sections are working out of this promise right here. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And God brought judgment on the nations who cursed his people. And God says, in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. Acts 23, excuse me, Acts 3, verses 25 and 26 refers to Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 22, verse 18. In you, in your seed, all nations will be blessed as saying that all of us who are in Christ have experienced that blessing. God asked much. Are you willing to follow? The road may be difficult. At times, it will be lonely. But I want to tell you, God's got great things in store for you and for me if we follow him. We could look at a lot of passages and indeed I have quite a few up here. But I would particularly want to call attention to that first one in Mark 10 and invite you to turn your Bibles there. Mark 10 verses 28 through 30. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. This is right after the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. In verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Whatever you leave for Jesus, you will be blessed with more of. If you leave mother or father, brother or sister, you will receive a hundred times much of them in this age. It doesn't mean life will always be easy. It does emphasize there will be persecutions. 
But it talks about the blessings we have in this life and then it emphasizes in the age to come, eternal life. The rich young ruler had come to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life in Mark 10, 17, at the beginning of this particular section. And Jesus here promises his followers eternal life. Think about it. To live forever in heaven with him. There are no announcements of the sick in heaven. There are no announcements of those who passed away. Because all those things are no more. But in his presence, we worship his name. And eternal life, I think, refers not just to a quantity of life, not just to a fact that life is unending, which itself is a great blessing, but it refers to a quality of life in the sense that it will be what life was always intended to be. It will be really living. It will be in His presence, surrounded by your glory. What will my heart Say, will I dance for you, Jesus, where in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence at your feet? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I even be able to speak at all? I cannot imagine how glorious that will be. I say this to all, but let me address the young people first. It is countercultural to be a Christian. It is countercultural to walk with God, particularly at our age. Does not mean it will always be easy, and it does not mean that it may be frustrating, and sometimes we may feel like the Lord asked too much. Look back at the cross. See how God has done more for us than He ever asked of us. And God promises us more than He demands. Persevere. Be long-suffering. Hold on to Him. So that we may all experience eternal life. I say that to the young, but I say that to us all. And I know I need that instruction. May God help us to persevere. May God receive us into His presence forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we are unworthy. We are unworthy of all the blessings You give. And all the promises you have made. We are unworthy of the sacrifice that you have given for us.
we bow our head simply saying thank you for your love for the gift of your son thank you thank you for the promises you've made for the hope of eternal life we have and how you have given us assurance of that in the resurrection of Jesus thank you Lord, we do not know, I do not know, everyone's problem, everyone's difficulty, the people that are a great concern on their heart, maybe friends and loved ones who are not strong spiritually. Lord, you know those concerns and we pray that you be with them. Pray that you be with them. We pray, Lord that you strengthen each of us because we are all weak and we need your help along life's way. We cannot make it without your sustenance. But we pray that you lead us through the valley of the shadow of death and all the other traumatic experiences we face. We pray you lead us till finally we can dwell in your house forever. In Jesus we pray. Amen. God asks much of you. And maybe you have broken his words. Maybe you violated his will. But Jesus has died for us so that we might receive forgiveness of sins. That we might receive mercy and cleansing. That we might be mended and whole. Jesus died for us so that we could be saved. If you believe that and you're willing to turn from your sins and repentance. Come this morning. Be immersed in water for remission of your sins. 45 years ago. Today... In my hometown of Dixon, Tennessee, we sang, Bring Christ Your Broken Life as an invitation song. And I came forward to be baptized into Christ. I hope that someone is willing this day to do the same as we stand and sing.